Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we are coming to you live from these United States of America. I am here in Des Moines, Iowa, where it um, looks like it's always going to rain soon. Bud is out there in Pittsburgh, probably going to rain, but definitely going to be french fries on food no one expects. I'm the director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the director of the Zeta Institute for Foundation Ethics and Leadership. You can find me at mchs.edu and zetainstitute.com. Bud, what do you do out there in french fry land? I'm directing the National Institute for Newman Studies, and we can be found at newmanstudies.org. So, but uh, yeah. right here at the top of the show, I, I always like to make sure that we uh, talk about reader, uh, listener feedback when we hear it. And yeah. um, so we got some that was actually from the beginning of the month, but since uh, it was the, the, the text came through in the middle of Ooh. donations for um, what was going on, you know, earlier, our, the, the, yeah. the spring thing. So um, I wanted to point out to it. So there's a dear re- uh, listener in northwest Montana, Brett. He's wondering if maybe the only listener in Montana, but maybe this is the foothold we need in Montana. Um, he was he's, he really liked the show that we talked about with charity and pity. So that's wonderful. He did have one part of disappointment, um, and it's that I didn't make a Mr. T impersonation saying I pity the fool when talking about pity I understand that this is a huge overlook on my part and I want to very publicly apologize for not making the most obvious pop culture reference that I should have in in a talk about pity well you know what I I kid you not I thought about that during during that particular broadcast but uh, I kind of called off the dogs and for me there's a verse where Jesus says call no one a fool Oh, so or you were you, Jesus somewhere in the in the Bible pitting Jesus versus Mister T. So well, yeah, and I didn't know if if my impersonation of Mister T would come off as I don't know terrible, like not, not just, great. No. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I, yeah, I I I, I refrained that time. Well, you know, we he did say that we made up for it. Because that was the show where we talked about too many croutons, not enough lettuce. Uh, the priest who was calling <laughs> cash lettuce and croutons uh, change. Yeah. He says, this is what I wanted to get at. I will forevermore think of the theological and spiritual truths that you reveal in the show as lettuce and the humorous nuggets as croutons. And he's saying that in deep appreciation. I appreciate that very much. But then I wonder if like, from now on... Um, Tony or, you know, people behind the board are going to say, like, too many croutons, not enough lettuce, meaning that we're making too many jokes and we need to actually get to the theological point. So uh, thank you, Brett, and all the uh, listeners that uh, listen to us. Uh, We appreciate it, and uh, it's always nice to hear from people, uh, and it's also nice to know that on occasion we can make a funny joke or metaphor. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you know this, but whenever we um, come in for the show, like right when we go on air and the music's playing, I'm doing air guitar in my office. <laughs> well, that not <laughs> it, it morphs into like an electric guitar, like. Wah, wah, wah. I was going to say, there's no, there's no webcam like we used to have. And not to hurt your feelings, but that's clearly a uh, a banjo that starts the song out. But whatever, it works. You know, Pittsburgh. I don't even know if they have banjos up there. What we do have on every show 
is we are underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences, and we want to thank them for allowing us to have not only the show, uh, but wonderful listeners that um, uh, write in, and uh, we want to thank uh, Mercy for making that possible. Uh, it's crazy to think uh, summer always sneaks up on you, even though summer only officially started on June 21st. Um, I just got in the email today at work that everybody's turning in their uh, midterm reports, so... At Mercy, you would be halfway done with your summer semester. We're gearing up for people looking to start in the fall. So many things that you can get involved with. Accelerated nursing programs, online programs. Uh, check it out at mchs.edu. Yeah, one thing that was cool for me being at Mercy was hearing the different students' stories about how they got to where they were. And I, I feel like Mercy is just ideally suited for people in a certain stage of life. So, like you were saying, a lot of options there. And, uh, you know, it's good to have options. Um, Plus their director of mission is one handsome fella. That's right. Yeah. If, yeah. That's, if, what, if what you're comparing schools is what are their mission officers like, I'm just going to throw that out there maybe check out the mission page. Uh, so, Bud, today what yeah. we're going to talk about is June, but not just anything about the month. We're going to point out that especially uh, how it worked out this year, that we have three feasts in June right in a row uh, that are huge ones, uh, uh, Corpus Christi, June 20th, or uh, yeah. whatever Sunday you might have celebrated it, uh, John the Baptist, which was the 24th, and then the Sacred Heart coming up uh, on the 28th. The whole month is dedicated to the Sacred Heart. And so we were going to have a show about the feasts of the common good, because of course there's a way all of these um, very much have personal piety inscribed into them. But we really wanted to point out that these important summer feasts that sort of come as the crown after um, Pentecost and the, the Paschal Mysteries point to some of the more profound social realities of the Church, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, not to uh, gratuitously pick on any other Christian tradition, but I do have to say like, one thing that I've loved about becoming Catholic is, um, you know, this time of year in some places it gets kind of, they, you've got the, the the highlights of Christmas and Easter, et cetera, and then summer feels kind of like a low light or like a downtime. Right. But certainly not in, in the Catholic Church calendar. No, absolutely. And especially here in June, uh, we sort of coalesce that. We're going to talk about um, the common good and Catholic social teaching connection of all three of those feasts and how uh, they really do fit in the calendar year to make uh, put our hearts into this idea of us being the body of Christ. So we'll be doing that right after this break. Stick around. This is the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr, and we will be back right after these messages. <laughs> Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr coming to you this Wednesday. It's wonderful to have this opportunity to talk with all of you, and thank you all for listening. Um, this is happening in June, and that's not just something that we're you know throwing out there as a time stamp. Um, June, as it ends up, has some very important feasts that have everything to do with the common good and many of the sh uh, the themes that we address on this show. But before the break, you were talking about yeah. this, that um, maybe in other liturgical, liturgical traditions um, or just Christian churches in general, um, it's exactly June that can be seen as the dog days of summer, not only yeah. because people are out of school, running around and doing stuff, um, but that there's a way after Easter occurs, or if you're a tradition that celebrates Pentecost, that there seems to be a sort of steep cliff after this. And like, boom, 
Um, sometimes I think people get the wrong impression when we talk about ordinary time as if nothing's happening up until uh, we get back to Advent. But June really uh, puts the lie to this. And when you and I were talking about the show today, we really pointed out that there are three feasts here in June that have a lot to say about what it means to be the body of Christ in the world today. So Corpus Christi, um, which of course is dependent on the Easter season, but this year fell on June 20th. People celebrated it last Sunday. Uh, John the Baptist, which always happens on June 24th, and then the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Um, the whole month of June always dedicated uh, to the uh, Feast of the Sacred Heart, and it's June 28th. So, um, Bud, when... You know, for for you coming into a tradition that has all of these feasts throughout the year, I mean, I'm the same way, but I'm just asking you, uh, what was it like to see how, I don't know a good way to say this, that the Easter and Pentecost season sort of handed off the rest of the calendar year to the church for her to understand herself and what she does? Yeah, so if you, if you grew up in any Christian context, Christmas and Easter are definitely pillars of your sense of time, and it's during that time of year that we really enter into the mysteries of Christ's life. I feel like in the Catholic Church, when we get to this time of June, that there's this sort of, um, we, we focus in intently on the mystery of the faith uh, that has to do with the ongoing significance of the Incarnation. So in my mind, Corpus Christi is, is kind of the linchpin, mm-hmm. because that, that's how Christ remains present to us until the end of the age. And then, you know, bracketing that important feast is, of course, the, the, the celebration or the, the time in which we dedicate ourselves to the Sacred Heart, and then the feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, both of which, like we were talking about yesterday on the phone, have, I think, really significant implications for the kind of themes that we try to address on this show. Well, an easy way to point this out is just to be, you know, narrative um, about this. So one of the things I always like to uh, brag about in a holy way on Facebook every year that it happens is since we've moved to Des Moines and become parishioners at St. Anthony's, and this year St. Anthony's and uh, Christ the King in South Des Moines joined up, um, we have a relatively large Corpus Christi procession. We even had a big one with the, the imminent threat of rain and storms. I still think we had easily hundreds of people. Um, so they have an outdoor mass at a grotto that's outside of St. Anthony's. And then um, we, we, we go through and we do a procession of the Corpus Christi uh, with the Blessed Sacrament, the host, you know, um, in regal display, us trailing behind um, uh, our King and our Lord as we go through the historical... Um, part of the south side a lot of the italian immigrants who established uh, a big catholic presence here in des moines um, all live there uh, but it's a very diverse crowd uh, not only do we have of course the, the legacy italian folks who've lived there for a long time um, newbies like me who've moved in the latin mass community uh, we also have a, a huge spanish community at both parishes um, both of them uh actually marching uh, with uh, the, 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 the host out front um, in uh, native regalia and, and doing uh, dances native to the place that they come from in honor of uh, Corpus Christi. And, you know, when you say that Christ is king, sometimes in 2019 America, it can be hard to imagine what that looks like. But here we were in procession, servants, 
of uh, the King of King and Lord of Lords. And uh, even though it made people sad on Indianola Street, they had to stop and let us go by. But it was a wonderful sight to behold. You've been You're there delaying brunch. <laughs> yeah, we're delaying brunch uh, for the Lord. And so something like a Corpus Christi procession is a very tangible way to look out and see um, that the yeah. church is a nation called from many nations uh, with one Lord uh, whose yoke is light and that we get to be together um, in physical space, not just privately in you know our churches for an hour on Sunday, um, but that the world is his and these, these neighborhoods are his, and it's quite the sight to see. Well, I hope it doesn't feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but one thing that we've tried to circle back to more than once uh, on this show is, uh, you know, one of the lies that I think our culture will tell you, and it's really rooted in um, some, some philosophical writings over the past few centuries, is that there's a private sphere of life and there's a public sphere. And so the public sphere has to do with the important stuff, like going to work and paying your taxes, eating your vegetables. Uh, the private sphere is supposed to be reserved for hobbies, including religion. And uh, this is just a lie from the infernal depths of hell. And it really gets back to a proper understanding of the human, because we can't, well, we can't simply just bifurcate ourselves, where our deepest commitments are held over here, and, you know, uh, they can be whatever they happen to be, and then we do the important stuff over here. No, I mean, the commitments that we have in relation to our understanding of the world and God, those are going to impinge in all sorts of ways on how we organize our family life and community. And not to be, I hope this isn't unfair to people who float that position, but I really feel like it's sort of a sleight of hand. And what I mean by that is they, they have precise ideas about how they think the world should work. Right. And a really convenient way to advance those is to convince people that, like, your own deeply held ideas are actually, they, they don't belong in this space. And uh, to go back to, you know, you're talking about dead horses, someone that I always bring up on this show, Joseph yeah. Pieper, um, a wonderful theologian and philosopher in two different places. One uh, book is called Leisure, the Basis of Culture, and then the other would be uh, uh, Festivity. Uh, what he points out is that people get it completely backwards. They act like what you are in this yeah. world is the job you have and what you do for five days a week and the sort of uh, what you contribute to the gross domestic product. And then if you have side features, you know, that's like a neat way for you to refresh or unwind. And, um, you know, on the side, you can, you know, that's how you, you can do things in your own private time. But really what you are is an economic contributor and secondly you know a citizen that you know does make sure that the economic machine keeps going and then we you know the this economic order are so nice to give you two days off on the end of the week to sort of do other stuff that you may or may not like um joseph bieber points out even before you get into something like revealed religion in the catholic church it's actually quite the opposite we have always worked in order to be to have the space to be our true selves, right? Leisure, not in sort of just like entertainment or taking it easy, but the, right. the p space that we carve out so that we can attend to what's important, so we can be contemplative, so we can, you know, in terms of natural religion, um, show our gratitude to nature and God or the gods, depending on like which culture we're talking about. 
uh, th- that actually is the purpose of culture. Uh, and the reason we work is to make sure that this is uh, that that contemplation and leisure and festivity is available to as many people as possible, and that that's truly where we become human is what we do when we're not doing servile work. What do we think is worth working so that we give our space to do for and in and of itself on its own? And so, uh, festivity. Uh, is sort of where and it's really where contemplation hits the rubber hits the road and people stop thinking it's just what eggheads do in ivory towers with free time. Um, a parade, and uh, exactly that's what Corpus Christi is. In fact, Jeremiah Evans, yep. either his son, so shout out to him if he's listening, either his son or he came up with this, that Corpus Christi is like a Jesus parade, but you're part of the parade, which I thought mm-hmm. is a really great way to explain that to a kid is to say, no, this is what we most truly are. Everything else in the calendar year and the week is done for the benefit of this. This is what we really care about. And another thing that's great about a procession is, um, you know, you've probably ran into this, but where people go, oh, you Catholics supposedly, you know, care about the Bible. But here in the Bible, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, shake a tambourine and things like this. And so this is bashing supposedly church services. Um, But you go, no, actually... Church services are contemplative, right? We have the sort of like quiet time carved out for us to be uh, in silence before the Lord, but it's precisely going out in procession uh, that we show the more festive side. And if anybody has the idea that a Corpus Christi procession needs to be quiet, you really need to go to the St. Anthony's one where there's a whole lot of you know celebration and festivity and liveliness going on. But we, we live for that. This isn't something we do in our spare time. We work and do servile jobs so that we can carve out the time to contemplate, to have festivity. And it's like you said, Corpus Christi puts the lie in stark uh, terms about what the world thinks compared to what the world actually is like. Yeah, Corpus Christi shatters that false private-public dichotomy. And, you know, someone tuning into the show for the first time, they may think, oh, Bud and Bo are obsessed with Corpus Christi processions because they're weirdos. And, you know, this it's is the only like, time I ever walk. No, <laughs> yeah. no joking. But uh, like you're saying, it, it makes public what we believe to be true about the world. And maybe there will become a day in our culture where that sort of thing isn't available to us or it comes at a, at a greater cost. But insofar as we can use, for instance, or um, invite the police to stop, traffic on Indianola Avenue so we can say Christ is King. You know, I think that there's some real, real merit to that. And I think of, I think of the examples throughout church history where you look back to someone like St. Oscar Romero, and he's confronting some pretty significant and, and, and terrible political um, machinations within um, in, um, um, El Salvador. And at that time, I could see someone like a very hard-headed bureaucrat saying, well, if these political problems are taking place, maybe the key is to do this, that, or the other, like play the political chess game. And what does Oscar Romero do? He says, uh, this next Sunday, the entire Catholic community of the capitals going to come together and celebrate Mass together. Right. Because we're members of the body of Christ, and that, that's more important than the way that certain political forces are trying to divide us. Um, I think, too, of if any of our listeners have seen the movie The Mission, mm-hmm. where, again, you have a conflict taking place, and in a heroic priest, what he does is he, he marches the body of Christ in a monstrance straight into the conflict. And that, that's not, 
that's not creating a spectacle. That's basically shining a light on the situation and calling those who may be perpetuating the injustices to see the reality of, of the world and what the body of Christ means in the world. Well, and I think that's one interesting, another w- way to point this out is when you have the body of Christ in procession with the body of Christ following behind, right? The two senses of the body of Christ. I mean, you know, yeah. there's three, right? There's the body of Christ resurrected at the right hand of the Father. There's the body of Christ uh, mysteriously present um, under the veil of the sacrament in, uh, you know, the, the, the body that is uh, in the monstrous, the, uh, the host. Uh, but then there is the other host, host of like the army, right? Like the the group, the the, the body yeah. of Christ, the motley crew, us. Um, so you know you have uh, the body of Christ in heaven, the body of Christ um, that helps us get to heaven, and then there's the body of Christ here on earth in via, right? We're all walking together, and so when you see those two uh, right there, it, it, you start to see how what can seem like an abstract metaphor takes on concrete incarnate flesh, the body of Christ with the body of Christ literally walking into the world and if people ever think that it's just a matter of of something just for us just preaching to the choir which of course sometimes the choir needs preached to i think people need to remember that but if you ever think it's just that um i can tell you uh that some of the the most uh, bewildered is not the right word but some of the most awestruck stares i've ever had turned towards me uh and i'm not getting into college stories here but is walking in procession with the blessed sacrament and people in the most basic way going oh what is this about not and in you know especially kids but i'm pretty amazed that you know people who i mean sometimes right it's making it where their cars can't go through uh really do wonder like i wonder what is important enough that all these people will walk in the rain will walk in the sunshine walk in the heat and uh you know i i think that that you can even see that like what was on twitter there was Someone uh, who's a, a reporter who yeah. follows a community that has a lot of Catholics in it, but they were like taking a video and they're like, "What is this?" And everyone's like, "That's a Corpus Christi procession." <laughs> like, you really, you, you might need to learn more about your community if you're going to be a journalist covering it. Yeah, someone was like, "The Lord, of, the Lord of the Universe just passed by you." <laughs> but uh, I can confirm what you're saying. In St. Louis, when we did our Corpus Christi procession, I remember neighbors who lived near the church visibly some in tears some just they stopped and paid reverence even though it was clear they didn't know exactly what the piety entailed right um it's 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 very moving but bo i wanted to go back i was struck by something you said a few minutes ago you struck me good (laughs) like lightning on the radio um (laughs) that's what we're aiming for i never thought about this this way but you said something to the effect where we work so that festivity might be available to the broadest range of people. Right. And I just thought that's the way that you phrase that is in contrast to even the way that we think about rest now. We think I work hard so I can take a vacation by myself right. and go to like an all expenses paid resort. But you were saying it was about festivity and beyond the individual consumer reaching out to the entire community. Oh yeah, and I think that that starts to be the measure is um you know, if we set up a world where the vast majority of people don't have the energy or wherewithal or time to s- worship God. I mean, like, okay, in the Christian context, let's just make it this way, right? Um, from the Old Testament to the New, start commands, right, that you make sure that people can have a Sabbath, can worship God, and if you prevent them from doing so, 
you will be the ones held accountable. So that's revealed religion. But even just sort of natural religion, if you read this like through you know Catholic circles, that as a matter of justice, if you have a society that can't in some way allow everyone to t- partake in festivity and contemplation, either you're a society in distress, so I'm not denying it, right? There are some societies where... Uh, the material conditions are so bad, it's war, it's famine or whatever, that it, you know that's not happening. But if you are living in a time that is otherwise free from famine or direct threat, and you've ordered that society where people cannot partake in festivity or contemplation, and I don't mean like fooling around, I mean civic engagement that is non-servile in a festive way, and if not prayer, at least like time to reflect, if you prevent large swaths of people from being able to do either, you have an unjust and disordered society because humanity was not made for work first. We do work. We can take dignity in work, but that work is always instrumental. We were intrinsically made to be a rational animal. And I'm not saying that that means people need to go get university degrees or like read books on their free time, but there must be this idea of recreation in the old sense, right? Recreation. We recreate ourselves. We give ourselves time to contemplate the things that matter. It doesn't have to be um, an egghead sort of way to do that. You know, like Fourth of July parades, right? Like when we have like the Boy Scouts march down, you know, and then here's the Girl Scouts, and then here's these groups. Like I'm just thinking of like Medford, Oklahoma in the 1980s. It's that wasn't like religious. It wasn't Corpus Christi, but it wasn't eggheadish either. But people were able to like take time and go, you know what? We're glad that we're here, and we're glad for the people who made sacrifices for we're here. And kids, um, and I'm just to be you know blunt people who aren't that smart can contemplate that in a festival and if you if you make a world where people look forward to celebrate something and that's fine day like add games and you know nice food and stuff that that's exactly what you're trying to do is give people space to do what we were created for and if you have an order that doesn't do that it's unjust and corpus christi reminds us of this it reminds us of what we were actually made for and why we have communities to begin with. Well, and I think this connects to something we can talk about in the second half of the show, where we, we talked about Corpus Christi as almost a matter of reclaiming space for Christ the King. Right. And I feel like, I think the, 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 the celebration of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, that might be reclaiming time. And we've talked about on the show, like, one way that the Catholic Church can just witness to the truth of the Gospel is by answering to the longings of people's hearts. And when the Church, not always, I, I, I'm not, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm saying for like nefarious reasons, but when we kind of drop the ball in these matters, like the vacuum is almost always filled. Right. So when you're talking about festivity, if you were to ask people a name, like, well, in what ways is time set aside to be festive in American culture? Some of it's great, Thanksgiving and whatnot, but we've jo- we joked on the show before about how Black Friday has become More you know, kind of a sacramental holiday of its own. And so for us to, the, the Corpus Christi processions, the All Saints Day, the All Saints Day is our answer to the Goths. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and the Feast of the Sacred Heart, I've, I've, as we've been talking, I've been looking at the consecration that's sometimes prayed on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, the consecration of the human race, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Right. In all these ways, we say Christ is King, and that's true. 
and we shouldn't let people forget it. Yep, and when we get back uh, from this break, we'll go right back into talking about the Sacred Heart. This is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Mars. Stick around. We'll be back right after this. Back with The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Mars. Coming to you in June, which matters because June has multiple feasts that we think uh, have a common thread of telling us a lot about the common good and what we mean by the common good and Catholic social teaching. So um, earlier, uh, before the break, we really talked about Corpus Christi and how it really shows us how to be the body of Christ, so to speak, um, in time, uh, in, in 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 place and in the in the world, right? So uh, it reclaims. Uh, that aspect of our life. And so, Bud, you made the interesting point that the Feast of the Sacred Heart coming up June 28th uh, reclaims time for us. If Corpus Christi is reclaiming space, uh, the Sacred Heart reclaims time. So, for the uh, inquiring minds that want to know, what exactly do you mean by that? If you look at the act of consecration of the human race to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, I think this was written by one of the piouses, I get the piouses mixed up, you know, they, right. they kind of blend together. One of them piouses. But it, basically it's a prayer saying, Most sweet Jesus, Redeemer of the human race, look down upon us, humbly prostrate before thee now. And then it, there's a swearing of allegiance to Christ the King. And with the conversations that we've had on the show before, Bo, at the end of the show, for instance, you you offer this kind of benediction that says, May Christ reign over uh, it starts with the family and branches out to the world. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the news, I get pretty frustrated. I feel pretty helpless, and I'm like, ah! What are you talking about? Everything's going great. Everything's going <laughs> splendid. But uh, I, can be, I can be kind of a hypocrite in that regard or you know, not take the, the plank out of my own eye, because really when we talk about the kingship of Christ, it begins with our own hearts and with our families, and... I feel like sometimes I'm willing to hold others to a higher standard where have I, have I consecrated my home to Jesus? And it, it begins there, and that's an act of trust in, uh, in, in, in the idea that God will redeem the entire world, uh, and we want to participate in that. Well, I also think, um, you know, when we, when we focus on the human heart and why it's so important to have a feast yeah. of the, the, the sacred heart of Jesus, which is his human heart, right? So... Uh, we we want to make sure people realize this, right? We're not saying that, like, well, you know, w- when we talk about the heart of God, um, we're very technically using a metaphor. God, who is pure spirit, does not have, you know, a muscle that pumps with four chambers blood, right? But strangeness of all strangeness, right? The the incredible miracle that is the incarnation. God himself, um, you know, became human, Uh and then when he did that, took on human flesh, uh, he had a human heart. And not only, the, you know, the physical heart, um, you know, that, that pumps blood and everything like this, but exactly the idea that um, our souls have hearts, right? Like so we talk about the, the heart as the physical sort of representation of the will and uh, our desires and our sort of decisions about what we're going to love and act upon um, within the soul. Uh, I'm sure there are some people um, in Catholic history who literally thought the heart did this like it was like a second brain. Um, we, of course, know that's not the case, but it's always been the case that the heart represents that aspect of the human. You know, it's like we 
for whatever reason, we, we feel the passions and especially things like compassion and empathy um, in our chests, right? And it, it makes sense why this comes about. So when you say talk about redeeming time, it's also about redeeming the will, right? We are going to um, resolutely choose to have Christ as king, and he's not only going to reign over myself yeah. and my heart, but our family's heart. And then if enough families can do that, it can be in this town. And if it's enough towns do this, and it keeps going, right, that Christ the king. And I'm, I've always, I'm with you. I'm always... Um, really inter- intrigued and interested that there's multiple consecrations to the sacred heart of Jesus um, that involve the family doing the consecrated, right? This family is consecrated uh, to Jesus Christ. And I mean, not only does that say, you know, very basic things that we believe about Catholic social teaching, right? That the family is the most basic unit of society, that it's not a perfect society, which doesn't mean that it's flawed. It means that it can exist on its own, but no perfect society can exist without families being a part of it because through families the human race uh, progenerates and, and keeps going um, new souls so to speak um, emerge in as you're talking about the fold of time and then the question starts to be to whom will they submit their will we can either do it to the world ourselves the flesh the devil all of those temptations or we can submit our will to the king of king and the lord of lords um, the Prince of Peace. And if we do that, and we do that as a family, and then we start doing that as enough group of a family, um, truly uh, the reign of Christ will start to be the social reign that we pray and hope for. Well, I'll never know what it's like to grow up Catholic, <laughs> right? obviously. Uh, but I, I, I think about my Catholic experience uh, in contrast to what I experienced some growing up. And I don't think, I don't know if some cradle Catholics know how much the Catholic faith really captures and emphasizes the Incarnation. Uh, earlier you were talking about this idea of the body of Christ that has different senses. So there's the host on the altar, there's the community that's celebrating. The phrase mysti- um, corpus mystici uh, in the Middle Ages, that could be used, like you're saying, for the consecrated host. And in recent years, many theologians have said we need to recapture the sense that this refers to the Church itself. But all those things are brought together. If, if you've ever been to like an evangelical worship service, there might be a person on stage who's leading you in worship, but God is really perceived as like a pure spirit, where so much of Catholic ritual and devotion, again, it extends the mystery of the Incarnation, so that if you, if you look at, for instance, classic depictions of Catholic worship, the priest sometimes even sort of fades. You know, he, he'll be facing the altar, and the focus of the gathered community is upon the, the host raised, you know, raised above the altar. And, and I guess what I'm saying, Bo, is all of those things draw us back to the idea that our lives are not our own, that Christ has a claim upon us. And evangelism is a lot of times, like, we might make it trickier than it really is. It's about inviting others into into that experience that we know to be true. Right. And, you know, the, the Sacred Heart was a very important uh, feast for me coming into the church. I, too, will never know what it's like to grow up uh, Catholic because I was raised um, Baptist in Oklahoma. Um, but I always liked, I tried to point this out to my parents. Maybe they get this, you know, as, as life goes on. But I, kn- I know that um, that's always, you know, something that you have to navigate is like, how do you explain what you're doing um, to people who uh, can take your conversion to mean like you're throwing off everything about how you were raised. Yeah. And certainly there are people like that, but mine was not. 
um, I try to convince my parents anytime they ask that for me becoming Catholic was um, an extension, a completion, and a fulfillment of everything important that they put into my life, right? Like I'm very thankful, of course, not only for my mom and dad, but um, the, the, the church community that they put me in because that's where I learned to love the Lord and realize how important it was. Um, but a lot of things that they said important, you know, for instance, having a personal relationship with Jesus, I found fulfilled not only in the Catholic Church, but quite specifically in something like the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Because for me, it started to make sense how not only do you have this personal relationship with Jesus by having a, your heart enfolded, hidden in his, but then you can start to see how we can all have this personal relationship with Jesus that's now a communal relationship that can be the communion of saints. And, and to me, uh, I'm sure there are people who, from my old faith tradition, that would argue with me. It gets a little bit harder, it seems to me, bud, um, to understand how it is that the personal relationship and the community uh, work together. And in the Catholic Church, they're inseparable, right? Like, not only is this the case because, you know, God himself is a community of persons, one being, you know, three divine persons, uh, but how economically, right, like how he has ordered his household in the world, um, because we are hidden in the heart of Christ, and everybody must enter into the, the wound in his side and be hidden in his heart, um, we're hidden in there together, and the more that we conform to the will of the heart of Christ, together the more we all have one will and can be of one mind, uh, like St. Paul says we should be. And so that, again, that's not going to satisfy everyone uh, by any means, but I always try to point out to people the Sacred Heart for me was a real way that things that I learned and loved about the tradition that I grew up in were completed in the Catholic Church. Yeah, and providentially, many of these devotions have arisen during a time where important truths were being forgotten. So I think about the the popes during the 19th century reemphasizing the Sacred Heart of Jesus uh, in the 20th century. I think about something like um, the the proclamation of of the dogma of Mary's assumption into heaven, mm-hmm. and we can't we can't forget that when we sin, uh, sins are so often we think of them as like a spiritual reality, but so often they're sins against the body, the sins of pornography, of unjust wars. They really ruin people's lives in their totality, and our eternal destiny will include our bodies. Our body will be in one of two places, right? Right. And the Catholic Church, through these various really important markers on the liturgical calendar, they remind us of these truths. And so for me, the Feast of the Sacred Heart is a reminder that God, um, the, the, the creator of the universe, came all the way into human experience. And so his love for us is not just a spirituality that I have to kind of appropriate intellectually, but uh, I, I think about... I think about the connection between, I hope I'm not getting, like, too sentimental or weird here, but, like, they say, like, when you have a child, it feels like your heart is outside of your body. Right. And that they, my children, part of the reason why I love them so much is, you know, Rachel gave them their flesh, and it's, it's the same way with the Son of God, that we, we don't have to, it's not, it's not an intellectual journey only towards God, but that God has provided these sacramental means for us to know him, in the flesh, so to speak. Right. And I think combining that idea that uh, the Catholic Church continuing and fulfilling things that I grew up with and this idea of putting flesh on things, uh, the last uh, uh, 
feast that we want to talk about here in June is the Feast of John the Baptist. Yeah. Um, John the Baptist, of course, growing up Baptist, baptism has a big uh, sort of uh, uh, imagery in my mind, of course. Um, John the Baptist is a huge character. Also something that I have to admit, like growing up, um, it's not that Joseph didn't matter, but like John the Baptist had a very, I mean, we talk about John the Baptist all the time. Yeah. And if you, if you look at the history of the church, um, there's a way, again, this is like sort of a bit off topic, but um, you didn't hear about St. Joseph as much as John the Baptist. John the Baptist was kind of like number three right after Jesus and Mary. Um, there's reasons why this happens, and it's not like it's a competition like St. Joseph and St. John the Baptist, I'm sure, are buds in heaven. Yeah. But I will say that there is this way in which John the Baptist kind of gets um, thrown to the side in church history anytime being Catholic is associated with polite society. Because John the Baptist puts to flesh the sort of radicality of the grace of Christ uh, so well, um, not only in his uh, austere fashion choices, is one way to put it, um, or his very interesting paleo diet that I'm sure there's people out there who literally only eat like John the Baptist in order to eat weight, uh, lose weight. Um, but his, and this is where I think it really comes down to this idea of Catholic social teaching the common good, uh, his more than willingness to confront the principalities and powers mm. of this world, to defend not only the great theological doctrines, right, uh, the sort of ones that like would strike awe and terror into people, that one is coming after me whose sandals I am not fit to untie, um, but that he would literally get his head cut off defending marriage. And I think it's really important to put that in the mouth of John the Baptist. It's really interesting, bud, because yeah. John the Baptist is not married himself, he is not sort of the uh, middle class white picket fence guy saying like, why, you know, why are you, you know, not living up to uh, marriage there, Herridge? Don't you want to, you know, live a nice little life? John the Baptist, uh, first of all, I can't imagine he ever went on dates the way that we <laughs> we talk about him. Um, but of course, he's not defending marriage as this nice little institution. He's defending married as that willed by God, and that if you are going to, you know, rule the people of God in the land of God, and that you can't do what Herod was doing, and that he was willing um, to stake his entire life on this. Now, of course, the way he gets beheaded, it's not sort of like, uh, you know, the the outcome of normal civil proceedings. But maybe the argument is that civil proceedings are not always that normal. Um, but it still goes to show you, right, that John the Baptist, if you could have imagined all the ways he could have died, right? Like, wouldn't you have all, like, the, the bets would have all been about, you know, Roman soldiers killing him. Yep. But he dies defending marriage. Um, and again, not like nice little, uh, the social sort of merits of marriage, but the sort of will of God um, in marriage. So John the Baptist, uh, not only putting his mouth, money where his mouth is, but his head on a plate for what he believes. Well, and there's the old phrase, there's nothing new under the sun. When you look at the events in the Gospels, it feels like we're dealing with a lot of the same sins. At the start of Jesus' life, Herod goes after newborn children. Uh, and then, like you're saying, with John the Baptist, he not only calls uh, religious leaders and the surrounding towns to repentance, but is willing to stand up for the truth of marriage. So I guess with John the Baptist... I've asked God to make me more of a saint like him in the sense that in those times in my life, and this is a particular temptation for someone of my temperament, where I've, I've thought like, well, it's better if I bite my tongue in this situation. We have to ask, 
is there is there prudent times to make people uncomfortable? Like if John if John the Baptist was willing to put his neck on the line, you know, who am I at the at the local barbecue? I, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean like drawing people in those conversations all the times, but there is uh, there is a time and place for that. Right. Now, Bo, you were pointing out on social media, it's really interesting that uh, we celebrate the birth of Christ at a time of the year where um, you go from the darkest time of year to the light increasing. Right. And with John the Baptist, it falls near the summer solstice where um, the days are starting now to get shorter. And this goes back to, I think, where John says, uh, he must increase, I must decrease so that he may increase. Yeah, and I, I think that that starts to be um, a lesson. I'll even say for someone like me, I always uh, imagine myself probably more like him than I really am. But, you know, he's like taking the winnowing fork and... Um, yep. separating the, the wheat from the chaff and the chaff being thrown into the everlasting fire. And I'm all like, this is awesome. John the Baptist is a heavy metal singer, and I love it. Um, but for all the ways in which John the Baptist was a straight-up celebrity, right? Like, everyone knew who he was. I mean, I, yeah. I think sometimes, like, we write him off as like, oh, you know, the esoteric weirdo that was sort of out in the plains. Everyone was worried about him. He was on the lips of everyone. The Romans knew about him. He was doing these weird baptisms. Um, he really could have taken that celebrity and done a lot of things. In fact, if his point was to, like, rule or, or yeah, I mean, he, he obviously, the charismatic of charismatic figures in the New Testament, and all of that was used to say, I must decrease so that the one coming after me, whose sandals I am unfit to untie, should increase. And his willingness to be an instrument for God. You know, we think of the winnowing fork, and we imagine first, right, the sort of, like, violent disruption it does to the weed in order to get the seeds in the shaft. But maybe what John the Baptist was pointing out is that more than anything, he was willing to be a tool, right? He was a tool in the hands of God. And so he would he would baptize when it was time. He'd make stark prophecies. He would, you know, get at people's hearts and sort of like, you know, pull apart the the easy overlap of the ways of the world and the ways of the kingdom. But when it came time uh, to uh, go get killed over a seeming technicality, he was willing to do that because more than anything, he wanted to be an instrument. And I think that that's um, what you're you're sort of pointing out about yeah. this too. To be like John the Baptist is to realize that even the things that you do great, he was a great preacher. He certainly was a, a personality among all personalities, but he would submit that uh, to the, the, the use of Christ so that the body um, could be made whole. And and on that note, I mean, I think John the Baptist in many ways is a sort of proto-saint for all um, people concerned with the common good and Catholic social teaching. Well, and I also just love how much he was in the minds of the principalities and powers. So after they kill him, there's a rumor spreading that Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected. Right. So they're like, oh, we're, we're going to get rid of this troublemaker, and it doesn't go away, it increases. But that's that's the paradox of the gospel there are all sorts of rulers throughout history who thought, I can stamp this out. You know, I can get rid of the troublemakers. I can kill this message. Um, and the harder they try to do so, like the Church emerges from that, where there's, there are so many saints from different eras of history, where if you, if you quiz people about who was, the, who was the governor during that era, they'd have no clue. But we all know who uh, St. Thomas More and, and, and Beckett and on down the line. Uh, all those figures were. I, I, we really need to make a meme with John the Baptist, and it says, like, I'm in your head. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, what? 
the 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 thing that of course he we, he's known for the most after all of that sort of fire breathing and all of that he's the one who looked at Jesus and said behold the lamb of god and uh that's you know that's what what we do that's corpus christi that's uh the sacred heart and that's everything this june so um but uh wonderful conversation i hope everybody takes the time this june to really see that these feasts not only pull us closer to jesus christ and to each other um, but really do knit the body of christ uh, in the way that we're talking about this has been the uncommon good for bud marr i'm bo bonner may jesus christ the prince of peace reign in our hearts in our families our city state nation Uh, The entire world, solar system, galaxy, universes and universes. This is The Uncommon Good, and we will be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcasts. Just search for The Uncommon Good.